The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message concludes our sermon on the Trinity in our series on the Kingdom of God. You may recall that we are preaching from Article 1 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which were adopted 175 years ago in 1847. This first article declares that we believe in one true and living God, and that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The latter part of this article speaks to the theological concept of the Trinity, which permeates the Word of God. Yes, my beloved, we believe in one true God, who is a living God, but that one true and living God manifests in three persons. He is a triune God. In today's message, as we conclude our thoughts on the Trinity, we see that it's so important to understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are on the same page. It's especially important to understand that they are on the same page in the matter of our eternal salvation. God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God the Son died on the cross for the sins of every single one of his people. And God the Holy Spirit will quicken and make alive every single one of those that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and those that Christ died for on the cross. Yes, my friends, the Trinity is an important theological concept. I can't explain it all. No one can. No one can fully plumb the depths of the intricacies of the relationship among the triune Godhead. But we can believe it and trust that he is the one true and living God who manifests as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh. 
1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And in verse 7, we have the clearest statement of the existence and character of the Trinity. In verse 7, it's, John says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, let me just say this. This verse has been left out of many of the modern translations. Those modern translations are based on what they call the majority text, which is a Greek text that uh, sort of came after and through Erasmus. Uh, but, the, but the majority text is not, don't misunderstand what it is, it's not based on a majority of the texts. It just is the text that most modern scholars use. And if you go back, I, I, I'm not going to go through them all tonight. I did a little research on that, and there's actually a, uh, uh, a list of ancient church fathers and other historians going all the way back to 200 A.D. that quote this verse in their writings, which tells me that this verse has always been in the Scripture and ought always to be in the Scripture. So be careful when you're looking at anything other than that. That's a good, good reason to stick to the good old King James Version because they kept it in there when they translated it, and it should have been kept in there because it was clearly part of it, and it's the clearest statement of the, the, the existence and character of the Trinity. Notice what it says. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, that is God the Father. The Word, that is God the Son. We'll see in a moment. And the Holy Ghost, that is the Holy Spirit. Those three bear record in heaven. And just in case you're wondering, these three are one. They're one. In other words, they are one and the same. And yet they manifest in three different persons. You see, the Trinity, the existence of the Trinity, the fact of the Trinity, I should say, is, 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 is throughout Scripture referenced. You know, we went back, I'm, you don't have to turn there. We went back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Did you know that even from the beginning, the, the, in the Hebrew at least, there was a veiled reference to the fact that God manifests in more than one person. It says, in the beginning, God. That word God is the Hebrew word Elohim, Elo, Elohim, as we might say today. In Hebrew, it's Elohim. The last, in Hebrew, you know, in our English language, if you're going to make a word plural, you add an S to it. Boy becomes plural by adding S, and it becomes boys. Girl becomes plural by adding S, it becomes girls. In the Hebrew, the way a word becomes plural is adding the, the ending I-M to it. I-M. So L is, is generally a singular reference. Elohim is a plural reference. Now, in the scriptures, Elohim always references God. It references God who is the one true God, but you'll notice that one true God is in a plural form. <laughs> it's amazing. And by the way, I am going to turn back over there. Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's that plural form, Elohim. But notice what happens. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And now notice here. And the Spirit of God moved up on the face of the waters. 
There's God, the Holy Spirit, right? And God said, let there be light. Notice there's a spoken word here. There's a spoken word. Keep your finger there and look with me over to John's gospel, the very first chapter. I'm sure you could all quote it, but we're going to read it. We're going to read it. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Capital W, Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So here we have Word. It's the Greek word logos, which references words and words of wisdom and that sort of thing. But it's the spoken. That, notice that back in Genesis chapter 1, 1, this, uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. You can turn back over in uh, the book of Proverbs, and I forget the exact address. I believe it's the sixth chapter. And you're going to see uh, where that wisdom was with God in the beginning. I believe that's a reference directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice as we keep reading here in John chapter 1, it said, All things were made by him, and without him was not, made, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. <laughs> And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, who is the writer of John talking about? He's talking about God the Son. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why that word there is capitalized. You see, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? By the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the water and the Word of God being spoken. Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. And he was God. You see, that's one clear reference to this. There's, a, there's another place. You say, well, is, there, is there anywhere, preacher, is there anywhere where we see all three of them together? Yes, I've got a place for you. In Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Just turn with me over there. It's really the only place that I see. It's, it's recorded in Mark's gospel as well. In Matthew chapter 3, though, in about verse 13, Jesus is coming to John to be baptized and finally convinces him to do it. And in verse 16, it says, When he was baptized, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right here we've got all three persons of the Godhead together at one time. We have Jesus Christ being baptized as he is in the form. He is a man. He is already a, a man incarnate. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and God the Father speaks from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, when you're baptized, what are we, how are we baptized? What's the preacher supposed to say? I baptize thee, my brother and my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, because God is manifest in three persons. Now, as we bring this to a close, let me, let me just use the rest of this time to talk about the nature of the Trinity. I think it's clear from scriptures, I hope you already know this, but I want to reinforce it with you tonight. It's clear from these scriptures that God is a trinity. God is one God manifest in three persons. So let's talk about the nature of that trinity. Let's talk about the nature of the three-person triune God. God is not a split personality. God is not... Um, 
One way is the Father, one way is the Son, and one way is the Holy Spirit. I want to go back to John Gill again and, and share with you another quote from him. See, there was an idea at one, at one point promoted that part of the divine nature was with God, and part of the divine nature was with the Holy Spirit, and part of the divine nature was in Christ. But, but that's not what we believe. We don't believe that it's divided up and split up into parts. The idea of the Trinity is of one divine essence, a common essence that's undivided in the Father and in the Son and in the Spirit. John Gill says it this way, We say that the whole divine nature or essence is in the Father, and that the whole divine nature or essence is in the Son, and that the whole divine nature or essence is in the Holy Ghost, and that it is simple and undivided and common to all. Now, we don't quote John Gill as Scripture, but John Gill is basing that upon Scripture. Remember John, 1 John 5, 7? He said, these three are one. They're not one-third each. They're one. John and, and Jesus affirmed that in John chapter 10 and verse 30. He said, I and my Father are one. I'm not part of my Father. He's not part of me. We are one. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, when Isaiah is, is uh, predicting, prophesying the coming Messiah, he said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That's a, I love the Hebrew phrasing there. That literally means God with us. We use it as a name now. We, we, we use that as a name of Christ, but it literally meant as his name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means with us. El means God. He says, God will be with us. Not a part of God, not something lesser than God, God Himself. Over in John, the third chapter, in the 24th verse, John writes, John the Baptist actually is speaking there, and it's recorded by John the Apostle. He says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, you know, when we meet here tonight, when I, when I preach, I need the Spirit of God. And he gives it by measure. He gives it as I need it. He gives it, you know, sometimes I don't get it. <laughs> for whatever, for my own uh, reasons, sometimes I get in the way and I don't get the Spirit. Sometimes our, 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 we've always felt some measure of the Spirit here in our services, but sometimes it's greater than others. But with Jesus, He didn't give it to Him by measure. He didn't give a little bit here and a little bit there and a little more over yonder. Jesus had the whole Spirit because He was the Spirit and He was the Father. And the Father was the Son and the Spirit and the Spirit was the Father and the Son. You see, they all are one. And now, you say, preacher, you spend a lot of time on something really technical. But you know, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> it really matters. It matters much that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. And it ought to be great. You know, why does it matter? You say, preacher, why does it matter? Isn't that something for preachers to discuss, preachers to argue about? No, it ought to matter to you. I'll tell you why it ought to matter to you. Turn with me back over to Romans chapter 8. In Romans, the eighth chapter, we begin in verse 28, talking about the things that ought to encourage us in life. 
And by the way, it's not that all the things that happen to us out there in the world are working for our good because I can affirm to you they are not. They are not. The things, the evil, wicked things that evil, wicked men do to you are not working for your good. And that's not what he's talking about here. Is God there? Is God providentially overruling all the, all the wickedness of this world and, 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 and delivering you from it? And, yes, absolutely. If you want to know about the providence of God, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. And he'll tell you about that, about the way of escape. He'll tell you about how the, that he suffers temptations. He doesn't cause temptations. He suffers temptations. But, but don't miss the fact that beginning in Romans 8 and 28, Paul is summing up his struggles in chapter 7 and chapter 8 over the sin curse of this world and the sin curse that's in him. Chapter 7 is all about the sin that's within him. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, that which I would do, I don't. That which I would not, that I do. He, can't, he sees the curse of sin within him. And as you get into chapter 8, you begin to read about the whole creation groaning and travailing in pain until now. He's looking at the sufferings of this present time, which he says are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. He's focusing upon the sin curse around him. And beloved, don't we have the same struggles? Aren't we afflicted in the same way? I don't know about you, but I haven't whipped sin yet. I struggle with it today. I struggle with it at church. I struggle with it at home. I, I, I struggle with it every single minute of every single day. Nay, every single second of every single minute of every single day. Just like Paul. And then I get out in the world when I'm doing pretty good and I feel like I'm close to the Lord and the next thing that happens, the world tries to tear down my relationship and my fellowship with God. I was driving and... Birmingham the other day and I know I use this a lot but it happens to be the thing that afflicts me the most and I was getting in traffic and people were driving just stupid you know and just doing crazy things and it and 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 it was a, I wasn't focusing brother Glendon upon how glorious the, the the Lord is I was focusing upon how crazy the drivers are you know I get it tries to that's just a minor thing. There's much worse things out there. Everything's going good. Everything's going just right. And then it's like you hit a stob in the road and it trips you up. Cancer, Parkinson's. Maybe it's something worse. Maybe it's infidelity. Maybe it's an economic downturn. Maybe it's getting fired. I don't know. Maybe it's all kinds of things in the world. That's what Paul's talking about here. The whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Maybe it's a hurricane or a tornado. But notice what he does. He brings us, his whole two chapters here particularly, to a climax. Right here in verse 28, beginning in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, what things are you talking about, Paul? Because I know the cancer's not working good for me. I know the drunk driver that hit and uh, killed my family is not working good for me. What are you talking about? I'm, I, I'm talking about some things that are so much greater than all this. Some things that are more wonderful than any, any terrible thing you'll experience here is bad. He said, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice what he's saying here. Wait a minute. Paul's saying there's something better than what you're experiencing out there. 
There's something you can't necessarily see with your eyes, but you can see with the spiritual eyes of faith. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now stop right there. Who does that sound like is more active in that part? Sounds to me like God the Father is, doesn't it to you? If he says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 that he, that is God, hath chosen us in him, that is Christ, that tells me God is primarily the one active in the predestinating grace, the electing grace that occurred before the foundation of the world. So, God, so let's put God the Father here. God predestinated us. Those that he foreknew, and that foreknowledge, by the way, is not knowing about us or about what we would do. It's knowing us intimately. Whom? Not what. Whom? Some people explain election away by saying God looked down through time and saw what you would do with him, and therefore he elected you based on that. That should say what he foreknew then, but that's not what it says. Whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate... Them he also called. Over in John, the sixth chapter, I believe it's about the 37th verse, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's not talking about, beloved, coming to him in a gospel belief way. That's talking about coming to him in the new birth. That's, to, that's talking. He said, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You see, no man can come to God without being drawn. And, those, and he says, every single one that has been given to him by the Father will be, will be drawn to him. How is that? That's the new birth. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is primarily operable in the new birth. He's the one, it's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, right? So here we've got God the Father filling his role, God the Holy Spirit filling his role, and whom he called them he also justified. Who was it died on the cross? God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So look here what we have. We have... God the Father, primarily active before the foundation of the world in calling, choosing His people and predestinating them to be conformed to the image of His Son. You have God the Son, primarily active in the justification of His children by dying on the cross. And then you got the Holy Spirit, who is primarily active in borning again, regenerating those children of God. Now, if you believe the most of the preaching that's out there in the world today, most of the preachers would affirm the role of God the Father and the role of God the Son. But so many would say, now, the Holy Spirit can't do His job unless you let Him, unless you ask Him, unless you pray to Him, unless you meet certain criteria. You know what that tells me right there? If God the Father... 
and God the Son were on the same page, then that means there's a break in the Godhead because God the Holy Spirit's not on the same page with them. God the Father predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. God the Son died to save His people from their sins. But praise God, the Holy Spirit is also going to quicken all those that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. God the Holy Spirit, like the wind, which blows where it wishes, blows where it listeth, and you can hear the sound of it, but canst not tell when it comes and whether it goeth so is everyone that's born of the spirit and praise God that means that there's not one going to be left out there's not one going to be uh, forgotten about there's not one that's not going to meet the criteria you say well what about the baby in the womb that can't he can't exercise his will he can't exercise his will to believe he can't hear the gospel you know what the Holy Spirit can even reach into the womb of that one that's about to be aborted before the abortion or scalpel ever gets to him and quicken him and make him alive what about the one that's lived a wicked life and he's finally paying for all of his sins by, by being executed you know the Holy Spirit can reach even the thief on the cross as his very life's blood is pouring out of him he can even he can even strike one down on the road to Damascus who is an active enemy of the children of God ready to haul them into court and to have them executed he can do that you know why because the Holy Spirit is on the same page with God the Father and God the Son See, this Trinity thing is a big deal. It's important that that verse is in the Scripture. It's important that we understand that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Otherwise, salvation is just a big ball of chance. Salvation is just a mixed bag of God did all He could do, and now you've got to try to do what you can do. Praise God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are on the same page. You know, we're told that, that God was in the Son. He was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Now, I don't, you say, wait a minute, this is all confusing. Look, we're never going to completely understand this. There is, at what point does God the Father end and God the Son begin? Well, at no point, because they're all the same. At what point does God the Son end and the Holy Spirit begin? Well, they're all the same. They're all the common essence, and, then, and yet they fill different roles. I can't explain it all to you, but I can tell you this. They're on the same page. And, and when it says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 that the Lord Jesus Christ shall save his people from their sins, it means it. It means what it says. And that's something that we can take to the bank because these three persons of the Godhead of this one true God are all together and on the same page. Those seven charter members of Zion Church believe this. They probably didn't understand it all either. But they believed it. And I'm so thankful we still believe that here at Zion Church. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com 
That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.